Welcome back to the Speak Your Peace podcast. My name is Ian McNaughton, Big E here. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. I'm all by myself. There is no guest. Uh, there is no point counterpoint. It's literally just me making a point, and that's it. Whatever I say goes. Uh, I'm recording this just after the end of the NBA All-Star game. Team LeBron defeats Team Durant 163-160. to Great game. Uh, fantastic finish. Uh, I'm going to get into that here in a little bit. Uh, I also am going to be talking about some of the Olympics, a bit of the Olympic hockey, and I got a fun little thing at the end that I'm going to share with some people. Uh, I, I Stay tuned for that. That's going to be great. So let's talk about NBA All-Star Weekend, really. Um, apparently the dunk contest dunk. I didn't get to see that on Saturday. Uh, I saw a few clips from the Rising Stars game. That looked really cool. Um, you know, the weekend is more about not the game itself, but the actual weekend is more, I, I find, for social media so we can post highlights on it, uh, so we can get some GIF moments. That's more what I think it's about. You know, there is something to be said for growing the game for young players, getting, uh, you know, Team World versus Team North America, used to be rookie sophomores. You know, having that aspect of it is really cool, building up the young players. There's certainly that part of it that you see on a year to year basis, but I find that those events are more just for social media clickbait, almost of posting content, getting stuff out there. Look at this sick dunk by Obi Toppin or look at Carl Anthony towns winning the three and, and, you know, congratulations to both of those guys for winning their events. Um, it, it's, you know, nothing short of, uh, impressive really, uh, unless apparently you watched the dunk contest, which wasn't that impressive, but, you know, the all-star game is supposed to be the, you know, cream of the crop of the weekend. It's supposed to be uh, the biggest game, the biggest event, the most watched event. And, you know, the NBA has done a really nice job of trying to evolve the game to make the game more entertaining, um, you know, more of a pickup game of a freestyle game than an actual structured basketball game. You don't really see it as a structured game until about the fourth quarter or when things come down to the wire because guys get competitive and they want to win the game. And, you know, you saw early on from this all-star game about how, you know, the players were just playing really loose. Guys are just shooting up from wherever. Nobody was playing defense. And that's fine. That's cool. This is the all-star game. It doesn't really matter. You, you know, nobody's going to be asking you to play top defense. So it's understandable that you're not going to see any. And, you know, people, again, kind of like, Earlier, when I mentioned about M- NBA All Star Weekend, you kind of want some cool clips that you could post out on social media. You want some nice dunks, some pretty passing, some alley oops, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, when it came down to the very end, it became a real basketball game. Uh, you could feel the intensity, you could feel the pressure from both sides to get it done. Team Durant going into the fourth quarter up by one. And, you know, I was really impressed with the fact that LeBron James, it's his team. uh, It's his name. It's arguably his city. Uh, He didn't feel any pressure to make his own plays outside of taking the game-winning shot. He took the game-winning shot, the fadeaway to to win it. And, you know, in a way, fair enough. Um, That's kind of how he is. Uh, in terms of wanting to be a superstar, I'm going to get the last opportunity. My name's on a uniform. Hey, 
Fair enough. But LeBron, I thought, did a really nice job in the fourth quarter of dishing the ball, giving the ball to other guys. He gave it to Steph, who Steph had a, a, a tremendous, fantastic game, broke the three-point uh, record for most three-pointers in an all-star game. I believe he hit 16 was his uh, final total. He had 50 points, too shy of the all-time single-game, all-star game record uh, set by Anthony Davis in 2017. Anthony Davis had 52 points. Steph only had 50 tonight. Curry went 16 from 27 from three-point range. Remarkable game. Fantastic. And, you know, he's doing his Steph Curry thing of shooting the ball from the logo from 35 feet out, and he's just sinking almost everything, it seems like. So, you know, Curry had a fantastic game. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo had a really strong game. He went 15 of 21 from the, you know, from the field. He had 30 points, 12 rebounds. I thought Giannis was really fun to watch tonight. Uh, he, he, you know, made a couple sweet dunks. DeMar DeRozan had some really nice mid-range shots, as you would expect. It's DeMar DeRozan. He's going to sink mid-range shots. And it, it was more what I was more, as much as I was caught up in, you know, Steph making all these sick plays, I was also impressed with the fact that LeBron got the ball out to other guys. He, he's getting he's getting other guys opportunities and i mean you know steph curry and Giannis, and you know those guys are in the top 75 as we've been highlighting all weekend in the nba but you know the, the fact that lebron at this age he's already got all the money he's got almost all the accolades he still needs a couple you know titles if he wants to be on the same level as jordan but the fact that in, in this situation He's getting the ball out. He, he's passing. He's letting other guys succeed. I think that's a, a sign as to what to expect in the next few years here as he is rounding out his NBA career. Uh, obviously, he is the superstar, the big man on the LA Lakers. That, that's his team. Thing, everything goes through him. And, you know, Obviously, I'm a bit concerned from the Lakers' perspective of what the future of the franchise is going to look like in two or three years. LeBron did talk about uh, he's going to play wherever his kid's playing in the NBA. doesn't matter where. He's just going to do it. And, you know, that, that's a great story. And any, you know, any dad who has the opportunity to play with his kid should. But it's kind of interesting to see if LeBron evolves and just becomes, you know, becomes that guy he, he he showed it i thought quite a bit last season uh, of you know making assists and you know giving guys other opportunities to succeed anthony davis um you know he he had quite a few opportunities last year alex Caruso, like he's giving guys other chances and he's letting other guys make plays now lebron can still make plays and he did make some plays tonight it wasn't as much as probably you'd like to see out of him um, uh, you know, 11 for 11 for 24, 24 points. Uh, he had eight assists tonight that, you know, ties him with Jokic. Jokic had eight assists. Uh, the most assists tonight went to Embiid, who is another guy I'm, I'm going to get to here in a sec, who I thought had a really good game, but I know we shouldn't read too much into these sort of events, but I do think that LeBron in you know, the back nine, maybe even the back three, four holes of his NBA career, let's say, um, you know, show that he's, he's not afraid, in, even in the big moments like these, 
to let others succeed, to let others make plays. But he is still LeBron James, and he will still take the game when he shot, and he will still score over it, which I thought was really cool, um, really impressive. And, you know, could, could be a, a, th- a sign of things to come as LeBron finishes off his NBA career. On Team Durant, Joel Embiid was one of my favorite players to watch tonight. Uh, this was one of my favorite Embiid games. He looked interested. He looked dominant. Uh, he looked like the best big man in the NBA. And, you know, that, that's saying something. It's, not, it, it's, it's saying something in the fact that, you know, Embiid is one of, if not the best big man in the NBA. And we know that. But it's when he wants to succeed that he, he looks like this guy. It's when he's interested. It's when he's vested. And, you know, he's had a lot of issues with Philadelphia, a lot of issues in Philadelphia over these last few years. And now with the All-Star game, you know, it's a good, it's a good break. It's a good change of routine for him. Now he's got James Harden coming up here as they go on, a, you know, another playoff run here. Currently, the 76ers are top three in the Eastern Conference. I'm just getting it right now. Uh, yeah, they're third in the Eastern Conference right now. They're two and a half games back of Miami and Chicago. The EMB factor was really important tonight because he was the if, if they were going to win, Team Durant, if Team Durant was going to win, he was going to be the MVP, I think. I, I mean, you probably could have given it to Steph anyways just because he had 50 points. But Embiid at 36 points, 10 rebounds, um, four assists. Oh, so probably Trey Young, not um, Embiid. I said earlier that Embiid had the top, most assists. Trey Young had the most assists with 10. Excuse me. And Embiid had 10 rebounds. So 36 points, 10 rebounds. You know, five, five for eight from three. And he's not that, – that's the thing. He's, he, he's a fine three-point shooter, but he shouldn't be shooting three-pointers, if you know what I mean. That, that's not where his best skill set is. However, he did show me tonight that when interested, when, with, you know, when on a big stage with a lot of pressure on him, he could still compete. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, I hope this carries over into the second half of the season on this playoff run with Harden. Because, I mean, he's one of the most frustrating athletes. It's not even just in the NBA, just athletes, because of the fact that he is so good. He is so dominant when he wants to be. And if he was, you know, a bit more healthy, a bit more committed, it's tough. And, and, uh, and here's the thing. I, I know it's tough. I know it's not easy being an NBA player. I'm not saying it is. But, you know, it's a difference in a, in, in a legacy between one tier to the next. Of just if you take that, time and energy and commitment you're going to be with those top guys that we talk about and Embiid showed me tonight it is an all-star game but he showed me that he does have that and he can be that if he wants to so we'll see how that goes uh for the rest of the season but I, I really like Embiid's game on Team Durant I really like Carl Anthony Towns for, for like a, a good like stretch near the end of the first quarter into the second uh Towns had you know nine points, six rebounds, three assists, uh, you know, Booker, 
LaMelo Ball, DeJounte Murray, too. I thought DeJounte Murray had a, 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 a decent game. But, you know, it, it, was, it was a fun night. It was great to see everybody back together in, in a normal circumstance, especially after last season, considering um, how weird things were in Atlanta for the All-Star game. And this year, not only did we have a full capacity, uh, we got to celebrate in Cleveland where Cleveland is not the most um, hyped city, shall I say, compared to L.A. or New York, where they love to do the All-Star Games, um, you know, where there's going to be a lot of celebrities. There aren't a lot of celebrities in Cleveland or going to Cleveland. But, you know, the NBA did the right thing of celebrating their 75th, their diamond anniversary All-Star Game in Cleveland. And, you know, I respect them for that because not – the NHL maybe wouldn't do that. I don't know that the NFL would or, you know, Major League Baseball. But, you know, the NBA is very much in the, you know, world of putting, you know, fans and what they think people want first. And I, I, I really respect them for that. So that's my little bit on the NBA All-Star Game, NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break here. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Olympics, the hockey at the Olympics. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right. I'm back. So I want to talk about the 2022 Winter Olympics for a second, because there's a lot of people saying a lot of different things about the Olympics, how either not interested, didn't know that it was going on um, too late in the evening. All, all this sort of stuff, all this sort of stuff. And, you know, my Olympics coverage this year was maybe very – I didn't watch much, if any, of the Olympics. I, I've been busy. I, I, I've been caught up in a, a few things. So, you know, I maybe watched five to six hours of the Olympics entirely, if that. I didn't watch any of the ceremonies. Um, I, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really sit down and was like, I gotta watch this outside of the women's gold medal game. There was nothing outside of that where I was like, I really gotta go and watch this. I really have to sit down and pay attention to this. Cause I, I just didn't feel that. I didn't feel that, that hype, that energy, that excitement, um, with the Olympics. And I think there's a few reasons why one um russia the roc that that whole thing um the 15 year old figure skater with russia that like all that sort of stuff is, is to me bullshit and uh it, it takes away from the integrity and it takes away from the um you know professionalism or the high class that i've always thought of the olympics to be to be the you know the, the top, the best of the best. And when you have somebody like Russia and the ROC in there, and I know not everyone involved with Russia, the ROC is involved with the doping. I get it. But like, it's very tough for me to look at that and, and say, oh yeah, that's fine. That's totally fair. Because I view it as more the IOC is just afraid to deal with the Russian government or to deal with Putin or to deal with any of that stuff. They'd rather just, you know, 
let it slide and ignore it because people are going to forget about the Olympics in a few months, weeks, whatever, anyway. So what's the point? And I guess that's fair, but I do think it's bullshit. I do think it's wrong. And I think it's, you know, upsetting to those who have put years and years and years of training and, and sacrifice and, you know, personal commitments to the Olympics to have to deal with this. I, I think that's wrong. And I think that's unfair. I know there is also people who are upset with uh, China and these Olympics being in Beijing um, for, for various reasons. And I get those sentiments, um, you know, unfortunately, just with how, with how the Olympics are and how they operate, it's going to be very rare that we see somebody like Lillehammer host the Olympics again, which I think Lillehammer is a fine Olympic host. You, you, you don't need to go to a big um, metropolis to have your Olympic Games, especially the Winter Olympics. Like, you can, you know, have it at a ski resort, and I think people are okay with it. Now, these next games are going to be in Milan. Um, I don't know that the 2030 games are going to be in Vancouver, but I haven't heard of anywhere else that they're possibly going to. But, you know, you can have the Olympics in, like, Davos or just at a ski resort for the most part uh, and have some, you know, scattered indoor venues and call it good. But with how the Olympics are and the fact that this is just a money grab for most countries, that that limits you to only so many countries to begin with and then metropolitan cities. Like, the reason Scandinavian countries like Norway don't host the Olympics is because it's not financially beneficial to them. They're happy to go to the Olympics, claim all the cross-country ski medals and, you know, ski jumping medals all they want. But they're not going to host the Olympics because it's just not financially, you know, valuable for them. It doesn't bring anything to those countries. People already know how nice Scandinavia is. They don't need the Olympics to attract hundreds of thousands of tourists to see how nice it is. You already know how nice Norway is. You already know how nice Denmark or Sweden or Finland is. Um, so that that's kind of my thing on hosting. Um, you know, there's not really, there, there's only a few places that you can really do a winner of games now with how, uh, you know, with, with how sponsorship, ad revenue, all the money works. There's only a few places that you're going to see. And, you know, Beijing's going to be one of them. Vancouver's going to be one of them. Milan's going to be one of them. Just the Alps. It's literally just the Alps, uh, Vancouver, and the Rockies. So maybe Calgary. Uh, but why would you go to Calgary when you go to Vancouver? That, that's kind of what we're, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. So, you know, I, I get why people are upset with the hosting. I am a bit too, but it just from a, from looking at it from the IOC and the Olympic Committee's uh, perspective, it makes sense. But let me talk about the hockey. Let me talk about the hockey because I think the hockey is one of the few bright spots from these Olympic games. So on the women's side, which was I thought the highlight of the Olympics, that was the thing that everybody was waiting for was the Olympic women's hockey gold medal game. We knew it was going to be Canada, U.S. We know these teams don't like each other. 
and they were going to have a fantastic game. It was arguably the event of the tournament, and the event of the Olympics, for that matter. And it was good. It was a fun game. You could see it in both teams, how the, excuse me, the quality of hockey was good, how the teams didn't like each other. There was a lot of pushing and shoving after the whistles. And the, the, the big thing beyond just the micro aspects of the game, besides just looking at this game for what it is and, you know, Canada beating the U.S. 3-2 and winning gold, which really, really cool, really positive. 3.5 million people watched this game on NBC and not in non-prime time TV time slot in the U.S. It started at 11 p.m. Eastern time on a Wednesday. And the fact that they still got three and a half million people to watch women's hockey is incredible. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Now, I know people are going to say it's the Olympics. People really just want to support their country. And that's great. That's fine. Because any way you can support your country, you do it. And if it's, you know, for watching women's hockey, Absolutely. If it's for watching a women's hockey gold medal game, absolutely. But what this means is by the end of this decade, is hopefully we're going to see more people watching women's hockey. We're going to be seeing more people watching the PHL, the uh, Premier or the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation, and the PWHPA, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. That's what this goal is for. That's what, you know, the end game is here for women's hockey. As much as it is supporting our country and supporting your favorite team, it, it's about growing women's hockey and getting people who watch that game on Wednesday night to now say, hey, I enjoyed this game. I want to watch more women's hockey. I want to watch the Toronto Six take on the Boston Pride on, you know, the PHF twitch account or espn plus or whatever and what people don't like or what they're not what they're more scared of is betting on the future we live in a world where everything has to be done right now and it has to happen right now or else we're failures or else we're incompetent or else we're in risk of losing our jobs and women's hockey has done a great job over the last 20, 25 years of building and creating the concrete pillars for the future. There, you know, it took a whole generation before of the Haley Wickenheisers of the world, of the Shannon Sabadoses, uh, the Megan Mickelsons, who both did a nice job in the intermission for CBC. The, that generation of hockey players has led into this generation of people wanting to watch women's hockey without those people, without Haley Wickenheiser, Shannon Zavados, Megan Mickelson. We don't have, you know, 3.5 million people in the U S alone watching this game. I don't know what the Canadian numbers are, but I'm sure it's pretty close to that as well. So I guess what I'm saying here is that if you watch the game, Great. Good on you. Now go and explore the resources and the 
women's hockey outside of the Olympics. Go see about watching uh, a local women's hockey game in your neighborhood. Go check out the PHF on Twitch or ESPN+. Plus. Go watch the PWHPA when they come to your town. And know that when you're doing this, you're supporting a very good cause, but that it's not going to be perfect right now. It might not ever be perfect ever in, in the future, but they are building something. There is a lot of groundwork being done to make women's hockey more popular, to get more women's hockey going, to get more women playing hockey. And that's the macro of that game last Wednesday in Beijing. The micro is Canada winning gold, beating the U.S., continuing the rivalry, and you know, getting another gold medal. The macro is growing women's hockey and getting more people interested in watching. And that is more important than anything else. And again, it won't happen right away. You know, we're going to have the Women's World Championships coming up here. I believe the women's U18 that originally was being played around the holidays is now going to be played in June. This is all coming together and shaping up. And it's, it's going to be a long, it's a long journey for those who are involved, who, are, who, who love women's hockey. And for those who are new to the sports, uh, to the sport and to following it. it. It's a long journey. It's a long process, but there will be a reward. You, you will feel the positive things that come out from working on something, paying attention to something and supporting a good cause. And that's what women's hockey is. So congratulations to Canada for winning gold in the women's tournament. Um, you know, well done to the U S surely they're disappointed that they didn't win gold, but silver is still an impressive accomplishment and well done to Finland, the bronze medalist on the women's side, because that's another story we haven't talked about. And I can bring this up with the, the men's side as well. This, this, this sort of relates on the men's side, but the other notable thing coming out of hockey I'm going to say hockey, not just women's or men's. Hockey uh, at the Winter Olympics is the success and growth of non-North American nations. Finland won gold on the men's side. They won bronze on the women's side. This was their first gold in Olympic history. So they went undefeated the entire tournament. They beat Russia in the final. It's a great story for Finland. Finland, as we know, already has quite a number of quality hockey players coming out of their country every year. But they, you know, they've had some success at the World Juniors. They're now having success on the on the senior level at the top level of international hockey. The again, women's side just got bronze. It's you know, this is great for somebody like Finland, who's had a really successful Olympics who now they can take those results and show them to the next generation or to the current generation and be like, this can be you. This is what you can do if you work hard and you do your best and you stick with hockey. You can be that. This is possible. 
this dream that you might have is achievable. That is a big thing for a lot of people who might not have you know, felt that way two weeks ago. This is also a big deal for Slovakia. They claimed the first ever hockey medal at the Olympics, a bronze on the men's side. They defeated Sweden 4 nothing in a shutout and finished third. That's something that's really impressive. Uh, for years, for years, I have been hearing about how Slovakia hockey is, is falling. It's not generating the same interest. It's not generating the same popularity that something like basketball has. Uh, Luka Doncic, obviously a Slovenian, but you know, there's a lot of people who see the success of him and him doing well. And, you know, are interested in that. The hockey in the world juniors side has been disappointing these last few years for Slovakia. They haven't really done a whole lot in the world hockey championships. Now, with this bronze medal in the Olympics, same as I mentioned with Finland, they can take that back with them home and they can say, hey, we got a bronze medal. We can build off this. We can do well. In upcoming tournaments, the World Juniors on the men's side is, again, going to go take part in August. There is so much positive things that Slovakia, after taking this bronze, can take with them and make note in the next generation of growing hockey in Slovakia. And I know you're thinking, oh, it's just a bronze. It's just a bronze. There's no NHL players. You're over your head here, Ian. I, I really do think there is something to be said for getting a medal, for doing well, uh, for having success. You know, having success means that you can help with, you know, make, making other people successful. Um, it's, it, it's tough to explain, but, you know, there's a reason why Canada and the U.S. have been successful hockey nations is because all the success they've had over the years on both the men's and the women's side. That's why they're the best, you know, women's hockey teams in the world and arguably the best men's hockey teams in the world is because of all the success that they have. And it translates to the next generations of kids uh, or people wanting to play the sport. So I think overall, while the Olympics might not have been a resounding success, while, you know, ratings were probably low, Interest was low, um, you know, growth was marginal, minimal at best. This is a big growth, uh, a, a, growth, a growth period, I should say, for hockey, for women's hockey, for men's hockey outside of Canada and the U.S. This is about growth. This is about growing the sport and making the sport better. And... I, again, I know there was no NHL players at the tournament. I don't think it really matters. I think the, the goal for hockey is not to grow in Canada and the U.S. It is, but this is where your biggest markets are, and you still could grow your brand or sport in European markets. And having these Olympics uh, with no Canada U.S. medals, I think helps that. I think makes that a easier process than it otherwise would have been. So let me know if you think I'm wrong. You can tell me otherwise, but those are my two cents on the Olympics. 
Uh, I'm going to take one more break. Stay tuned. I got a fun segment coming up after this little stop, but don't go anywhere. All right, last segment here. This is going to be, I think it's going to be a fun one because uh, we're getting back into the racing. I'm going to get back into doing some SYP YouTube content. So I'm going to do some racing things. Uh, I'm going to do a quick little bit here on the Daytona 500. Uh, I watched about 75% of it today uh, because I was just a dad, really. Like, I, I mean, I did my laundry, I uh, did some chores, but I was really just like a dad who was just lying on the couch like this afternoon watching the race um you know if i had kids i'd tell them to go play outside uh you know come in when the lights you know when the street lights turn on that kind of thing that that was kind of the vibe i was going for today uh you know typically you fall asleep during the end of it uh i didn't quite get to that point as a dad and i usually find that with golf that's when that happens it's when you're falling asleep when it's like oh you know speed shooting eight under ae got a lot of you know work to do to get back here but i was watching the daytona 500 today i thought it was a fine race uh the racing was was not too shabby um you know they have a new car this year the next generation i think this is the gen 3 car i'm gonna pull that up and chart but uh this is they had a new car today uh, they've been testing they've been working on pretty much all week gen 7 excuse me gen 7 uh new car that they've been working on for the last few months here they tested it out first uh not this past weekend not super bowl weekend but the weekend before in la at the la coliseum which was the bush clash at the coliseum uh that was a fun race i enjoyed that more the actual spectacle of seeing racing in a stadium than the actual racing itself the racing itself was all right it's a quarter mile track the average speed was about 60 miles 100 kilometers um you know the stadium race was fine today's race in daytona you know obviously much different compared to racing in a football stadium you know for perspective the daytona international speedway is you know it's a 500 mile race it's 800 kilometers it's you know a two and a half mile track so the race is going to be different and Again, I thought it was fine. I, 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 you know, there's some, the thing with Daytona, so Daytona, if you don't know, um, pretty much with Daytona, it's all about your, your, your partners and who you're working with. Uh, you know, there's typically like two lines. You either take the outside line or you're taking the inside line. You're taking the high line, you're taking the low line. Uh, and typically it just depends on who your partners is. Uh, typically either are working with your teammates or you're working with somebody who's the same constructor as you, i.e. a Toyota, a Ford, or a Chev. And, you know, you saw that, you got you saw it a few times today of people who are kind of just caught out in no man's land because they didn't have teammates, they didn't have a partner. And early on, you saw it with Kyle Larson, who was the pole sitter, who had a, you know, good car, I thought. He just got caught up in no man's land because he got the wrong line. He took the inside line. He didn't really have a partner. The outside line was the faster line. So he started first. And then I think by like lap four or five, he worked his way down to 11th just because he got caught up. Uh, he was just in the wrong lane. Uh, the big, the big accident was at the end, end of stage one. Uh, Harrison Burton, son of Jeff Burton, 
he was riding side by side. I believe it was Bubba Wallace who they were going with, uh, who he was going with, or uh, might have been somebody else. But Burton racing hard. AJ, uh, Brad Keselowski got into the back of him, drafting him, just drafted him a little bit too hard. Maybe because, you know, he wanted stage points. Also, there's got to be something to be said about Harrison Burton being a, a pretty much a rookie. He's my age. He's 22 years old. He might even be younger. Um, you know, he got a little bit loose in, in a couple quarters coming out of turn four on the previous lap. And he got caught up in Brad Kislowski running into the back of him. As a result, uh, he took Harrison Burton spun. He took out uh, Kyle Busch. And William Byron, I believe, was the other guy. Not not uh, Bubba Wallace, William Byron. A um, bunch of other guys caught up in the accident. Denny Hamlin, Alex Bowman. Ten guys caught up in the accident. That was at the end of stage one. That kind of set the tone um, for how the rest of the race would go in terms of just got to keep up. You got guys running into the back of you. That's going to happen a few times. So if you aren't careful, that's what could happen. A couple times today, we saw guys' wheels fall off. So in case you don't know, NASCAR uh, used to do, I believe it was six lugs. Uh, now it's just one lug uh, that they're using, uh, kind of similar to Formula One when they change tires. So I think there was a couple times where tires weren't properly set, where they weren't fully in. Um, and as a result, a couple guys lost tires today. Great finish. Austin Sidrick, the winner uh, for Penske Racing, 23 years old, second youngest Daytona 500 winner. Uh, lots of traffic, lots of spins in the back as he was crossing the finish line. Uh, really good finish. Interesting start, end of stage one. Second stage, I... I, I got bored with a few times because they kept going from like from commercial to race. It seemed like every 10 laps, there was another commercial and they kept showing highlights of Willie, uh, Harrison Burton's crash. So that part was a little bit dull. It was a little bit stale. Uh, I get, this is also like NASCAR Super Bowl in a sense where you have millions of people watching it. The most people watching it, it's going to be the most viewed race of the year. So you're going to try and throw in commercials here and there, but it, it was a, a bit of a dull stage two. Otherwise, I thought it was a fine race. I thought it was a fun race. Uh, next week, they go to Fontana, the Auto Club uh, Speedway in California, which I believe that's going through some new changes. It's a mile and a half track. That'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, but, I mean, you know, the whole weekend I, I thought was, was not too bad. Uh, they had qualifying on Wednesday uh jock vilna qualified uh on wednesday night he just got in the 1997 formula one champion i think he finished 27th 28th he, he finished higher than some drivers which is kind of impressive considering his car was not that good he got lapped uh early on the duels were fine uh you know some competitive racing at the duels and the daytona 500 was fine so you know we're, we're gonna get back into doing more racing content to formula one content for sure uh possibly some nascar content depending on how much time we got so here's a little here's a little snippet a little little appetizer a little preview hope you enjoyed it uh this has been the speak your peace podcast for february 20th 2022 hope you enjoyed it uh thank you very much for listening it's greatly appreciated uh we've got a, another busy week coming up but 
certainly we have time to do a podcast, I would think, uh, outside of this one. So stay tuned for that. Thank you again for all your support. It's greatly appreciated. I'll be back again soon. Peace out.